welcome back to our podcast series on struggling with judgment. My name's David Ingle and I'm a preacher, pastor and filmmaker and this is episode five, The Cross. Just round the corner from my old church in London is a little place called Postman's Park. It actually used to be one of our church's burial grounds. And these days it's a popular haven in the midst of the hustle and bustle of city life. But on one wall of the park is a Victorian memorial to heroic self-sacrifice. And each tile on the wall remembers an ordinary person who died while trying to save others. And one of the most poignant is one to an 11-year-old boy called Solomon Gallerman. His little brother slipped over in the path of an oncoming cart while the two of them were dashing across the street. And Solomon immediately turned back and pushed his brother out the way. But he then got run over and dragged along himself. He was rushed to hospital while a policeman took his brother home and found his mum. When she got to his bedside, he whispered to her, Mother, I saved him, but I could not save myself. Those words seem to carry an unconscious echo of the cross. He saved others, but he can't save himself, they cried. And yet Jesus chose to stay there, dying on the cross for them, for me, for you. As Paul wrote in Galatians 2, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. But how? How does Jesus' death show God's love for me? I mean, little Solomon Gallerman's love for his brother was obvious. The cart was bearing down and he dashed in to rescue him, effectively dying in his place. But the story only makes sense if you know what he saved his brother from. And so often when we talk about the cross, we miss that bit out. We say that Jesus died for me. We wonder at the cross. We talk of Jesus's love, but not why it was necessary. Not what Jesus saved us from. And without that, the cross doesn't really make sense. And so to understand the cross, we need to talk about judgment, which is what this film series is all about, struggling with judgment, wondering how a God of love could also be a God of judgment. And actually, at the cross, we see both, because the cross is the ultimate expression of God's love. But it's also the ultimate expression of God's judgment. There's a brilliant little passage in Romans 3 where Paul sketches out what is going on. He sums up his argument so far in verses 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. This message has two parts. The first is the problem, that we've messed it up and gone wrong, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that immediately explains why the second part is necessary. We're in a mess. We need rescuing, or to use Paul's language, justifying. And so he continues that all are justified, or rescued, freely by his grace, through what Jesus did on the cross. And it's a beautiful little summary of the Christian gospel. But Paul then continues... And it says, it's what he says next that really helps me get my head around why judgment is necessary. 
Because I think we often ask why we need to be justified. I mean, it's not that we think we're perfect. We know, or certainly I know, that we're not. It's that we don't see why that matters. And we wonder why God couldn't just ignore the things that we do wrong. Why does there need to be judgment? Or to put it another way, why does Jesus have to die so I can be forgiven? Well, Paul carries on and tells us that for a time God did ignore what people did wrong. He writes, in his forbearance, God left the sins committed before, before the cross, unpunished. But then he tells us actually twice that the cross was needed to demonstrate God's righteousness. And so that God can be both just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Well, what does that all mean? One of the most spectacular scandals in recent political history was the Watergate scandal, which led to the downfall of President Richard Nixon. It all went back to a break in June 1972 at the Democratic Party's Washington HQ in the Watergate building, hence the name. And in the months that followed, the break-in was slowly but surely traced back to people connected to Richard Nixon, the Republican president. But here's the strange thing. Nixon himself was almost certainly not involved, or initially even aware, of the actual break-in. And yet it would ultimately lead to his downfall and his resignation. Why? Well, because of the cover-up. When we ask why God can't just ignore or forget our sin and wrongdoing, what we're really asking is for God to do the same thing as Richard Nixon, a cover-up. Now, maybe that wouldn't matter if the things we were talking about were trivial or insignificant, but over the last few films we've begun to unpack just how serious the things that we do wrong are, and how they leave us and those around us broken and poisoned. Our sin, my sin, your sin, has a real and disastrous impact on everyone we come into contact with. And if that is the case, then if God ignores or covers up our wrongdoing, that doesn't make him more loving. It makes him guilty. Because to ignore my sin is to ignore what it's done to you. To ignore the way it twists and destroys the lives of those around me. To say that none of that matters. And if God loves you, and God loves the other people who've been touched by my sin, well, how can he do that? And so, how can God forgive me? And yet he does, and yet he can, because of the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus dies in our place. At the cross, Jesus takes on himself the judgment that I deserve. At the cross, Jesus dies for me. And so there's no cover-up, no Watergate, no attempt to pretend that it doesn't matter. My sin, your sin, all our sins are brought into the full glare of the light at the cross. But then they're dealt with, they're judged, they're washed away. And that is what Paul means when he says in Romans 3 that God is both just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And the thing is that we need both. 
Because when it comes to sin, we're both the victims. Our lives have been ruined, twisted and warped by other people's sins against us. And yet also, we are the guilty. We've done it to others. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we need a God who is just, one who will recognise and deal with what has been done against us. And we also, though, need a a God who justifies those who have faith in Jesus, who rescues and saves us. So the fact that at the cross God judges Jesus in my place is actually what makes the cross such good news for me. It's through his judgment that God actually shows me his love, which is quite a strange thought. You might ask, though, how is that all possible? How can God judge Jesus in our place? How does it work? Well, the Bible uses a bunch of images or illustrations that help us to understand that. And I want to finish this podcast by sharing a couple with you. And the first is drawn from the world of finance. My old house was just across the road from the London city offices of Bank of America. And this first illustration is one as familiar to us today as it was in New Testament times. It's the image of debt. The Bible often compares our sins to a debt that we owe, but that we can't afford to repay. One of Jesus's last words at the cross, though, was tetelestai, or it is finished. And in the ancient world, that was the word which would be written across a bill or debt when it was paid off. Tetelestai, paid in full. And at the cross, Jesus pays off our debt. Jesus pays the price of my sin, of your sin. Tetelestai, paid in full. A second image we find in the Bible is drawn from the law courts. Another one of my neighbours in London was London's most famous law court, the Old Bailey. And when someone is found guilty in the Old Bailey, there's a different kind of price that has to be paid. And this time it's not usually financial, but a punishment that has to be served. And at the cross, Jesus is punished in our place, leaving us to go free. Makes me think of one of the great moments in English literature, it comes at the end of Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities. One of the main characters, Charles Darnay, is a former French aristocrat who's been captured by the revolutionaries and sentenced to death. But hours before his execution, his friend Sidney Carton visits him in his cell and switches places. And Carton then goes to the guillotine in Darnay's place. He takes the punishment He dies so that Charles Darnay can go free. And at the cross, Jesus takes our punishment. Jesus dies so that we can go free. Now, my final illustration is one that many of you may already be familiar with from Alpha. It's drawn from a passage in Isaiah 53, which looks forward. It's a prophecy about the cross. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, the illustration is a visual one, so you have to use your imagination or watch the film version of this talk. Imagine that my hand represents me 
and the sky god, and I'm holding my hand out in front of me. Now, imagine a book resting on my hand, creating a barrier between me and what's above. And that book represents everything I've ever done wrong, all my sins. And those sins are a burden, a debt, a barrier that cuts me off from God. And Isaiah explains, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But now imagine that my other hand is also held out in front of me and it represents Jesus. And Jesus was the only person who never sinned, who never did anything wrong, who always had a perfect relationship with God. So there's nothing on that hand, nothing separating Jesus from God. But Isaiah continues, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All my sin, the things that cut me off from God, the judgment I deserve because of them, all of that is now carried by Jesus at the cross. So the book on my hand, the barrier of my sin, that is all transferred onto Jesus at the cross. Can you see where that leaves me? Suddenly the hand that represents me is empty. I'm free, forgiven, back in relationship with God. And that is really the key to what is going on at the cross. That is why the cross is necessary. You see, we often think that what we need, what we want, is for God just to forget the things that we do wrong. But as we've seen, that would leave all the problems and pain unresolved. That would be a cover-up. So what we actually need is forgiveness. Because forgiveness is so much bigger than just forgetfulness. Forgetfulness ignores what has gone wrong, but forgiveness deals with the problem. Forgiveness recognises what has happened and then puts it right. But forgiveness is only really possible if someone bears the cost, the pain, the judgement. And that is what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Amen.